0: Welcome back to the MEND podcast. I'm your host, Joe Roeder at Red's Fly Shop, and we are going to chat some fishing today because I got to go fishing a lot this last week, and I got some stuff to share with you. So here's the podcast format, what we're going to do today. I'm going to chat a little fishing, but I'm also going to chat about Red's Rendezvous 9, okay? In case you haven't heard of this, it's the ninth year in a row we're doing this event, and if there's any way you can get there, if you live in the northwest, or even the west for that matter, don't miss this event. It's almost worth getting on a plane for from back east, but I'm not going to hard sell you on it. So let me twist your cast and arm for just a minute. This event is going to start Friday afternoon, and it's going to start with women's cast and blast combination lessons. Free for the ladies. We even provide the ammunition, shotguns, pro instruction. We're going to take take them up to the course, teach them to shoot flying objects like clay pigeons or maybe someday a bird, and then we're going to bring them back to the lodge and give them free fly casting lessons. They do have to RSVP, though. I'll tell you how to do that in just a second. So free women's uh, cast and blast combination lessons. Then we're doing uh, a river floating adventure class. A lot of people want to learn how to float a big western river, namely the Yakima Canyon where we're located. So we're going to put on a short class. I'm going to teach that. And I'm going to do that inside the lodge, teach you all the do's and don'ts. When is the river too high? When is it too low? How far should I float? I want to see some bighorn sheep. Where should I float and when? All that kind of stuff. I want to float on my stand-up paddle board. Where should I go do that and how should I do it? Or I want to row a drift boat. How do I do that? I'm going to answer all those kind of questions and kind of point you in the right direction. Then, after you go through my short class in the lodge, you get the golden ticket. The Golden Ticket gets you a free river rafting ride down the Yakima Canyon that same day or that weekend. So those will be kind of the things that we kick off Friday afternoon with. But the highlight, my good friend Brian O'Keefe, who I call the world's foremost angler, because he has always been there, he's always done that before I have. Guy is the best fisherman and caster I've ever seen. The most well-rounded angler you'll ever meet. The best photographer on planet Earth when it comes to fly fishing. I know that's quite a statement. And it's totally a qualitative assessment. There is no competition there. Uh, but anyway, so Brian is going to do uh, something with George Cook and myself and I on Friday afternoon. Now listen close, people, because this is a rare and unique opportunity. We are going to do a, an advanced casting and presentation class. There's going to be two sections of this. They go from, say, and all the details will be on the website. You're going to RSVP online in the next couple of days. I'm going to have that thing up. It may already be up or it may already be full, depending on when you listen to this, by the time you get there. But go to our website, click on the Upcoming Events tab. It's on the top. Then click on Red's Rendezvous 9, and you will see where to RSVP for this. But it's going to be free We're going to do a couple of sections, and you're going to get three of the best casters I know helping you out in an advanced clinic. Those clinics are going to go about an hour. It's going to be as much information as you can handle. After that, then you're going to head up into the lodge, where Brian O'Keefe is going to put on the coolest photo show on how to capture images of your adventures efficiently, And better, instead of just taking your camera and going click, 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 click and winding up with 4,000 mediocre pictures, which you all do, he is going to teach you how to capture the adventure and the essence of the adventure, maybe even with something as simple as a cell phone or a basic point-and-shoot. He'll also have plenty of advice for you camera nerds out there toting big, giant cameras around. And I personally need to go to this class because I take my big, giant camera and I just put the thing on auto and click, click, click. Like a lot of people. Uh, so And there's no value in having a lot of pictures. There's value in having good images. So Brian's going to do a really cool uh, seminar in the lodge that night. There's going to be some appetizers. There's going to be some beer, some wine, and some good times. A lot of good folks there really suggest you come out. Try to get to that distance casting clinic if you can. But at least come and see Brian speak in the lodge. So that's just all Friday night. There'll also be some Dutch oven cooking going on at the same time on the property. Just a cool day to get you and your family out there to kick the weekend off, right? There's lots of camping in the Akama Canyon. You can go camping somewhere nearby and enjoy the whole weekend because on Saturday, that's when the big action happens, we're going to have a plethora of seminars, all free, going on on the Reds Fly Shop property. You're going to be able to see some of the best Teachers and instructors in the industry teach you how and where to go get some fish, spay casting, women's lessons, kids' lessons. There's even going to be some hunting stuff. We're having a 3D archery shoot that weekend. So if you know anybody who likes shooting bows and arrows, uh, we're going to do that. We're going to raise money uh, with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, a great group focused highly on preserving and conserving access to your public lands. Uh, so bring your bow in. You can participate in that. That's going to be real exciting to watch. And uh, we're also going to have a five-weight fly casting competition. Okay, so non-professional anglers can compete to win a Sage X-Rod paired up with a Sage Reel. Sage Fly Rods is sponsoring this tournament to help us raise money for Project Healing Waters. You're going to participate in the casting competition. It's just an arbitrary donation. We want to raise some money. We also want to challenge people to come out and be the best caster they can be too. So it's super fun to watch. It's all for fun, very casual. Following the non-pro casting competition, there is the professional division. Holy smokes, there are some of the best casters in the West. Not just our guide crew, but the, the sales reps and other outfitters from other parts of the country are going to be there. And we're going to duke it out. Uh, with a pro casting competition that is so fun to watch. And that'll happen Saturday afternoon, and we'll have some other events going on that late afternoon in the lodge as well. So, and then on Sunday, just pay attention to the website, go click that link, in the next couple of days you'll see that page evolve. And go click that link there, and uh, I'll be posting many updates in the next, probably two weeks as we finalize the schedule. But on Sunday, we're going to have some specialty clinics, more women's cast and blast combination lessons, more river floating adventure classes, and lots of good stuff going on Sunday. So Reds are Rendezvous 9, not sure if I mentioned the dates for that, but that's April 20th through the 22nd, and we would love to get you out there for that event. So it's very exciting. Anyway, enough about the Reds are Rendezvous, you can tell I'm excited about that. Uh, okay, fishing report. So, I got out several days this last week and the weather was very, very cold. A couple of days we're still hit, getting hit with these overnight lows and you're going to see that no matter where you fish. Uh, when that happens, what you really want to focus on is the streamer fishing has been extremely tough with those cold overnight lows in the springtime. Now, in the fall, as the river is cooling, you can get, you know, abrupt cold nights and, and nights where you get hard freezes and the streamer fishing actually will be just fine. But in the springtime, when the water's already starting real cold, um, it just seems to kind of put a damper on the streamer fishing. What you want to look for to have good streamer fishing, and especially swing fishing like with the trout spay rod, which a lot of people are doing and I was doing uh, on Saturday, you want to look for nights where the overnight low is warmer than average, especially warm, cloudy nights, not necessarily those... You know, bright, sunny days that are always followed by cold nights. So uh, look for cloudy days, warm nights, warm overnight lows. Don't worry so much about the daytime temperature. And uh, focus your your trout spay efforts in the afternoon when the water warms up a little bit. Focus on nymph fishing, the slower moving, uh, I call them tanks, but just big pieces of holding water where those fish have some type of what I call a thermal refuge because it sounds fancy but some place where they've got a big space and they can get down a little bit deeper and they're not really feeling that extreme cold of the air temperature, because the air temperature will be colder than the water, so most of those fish are gonna tuck down a little bit deeper in that morning time frame, and then migrate out to the edges and get a little bit more aggressive in the afternoon, which is when you can get them uh, typically better on a streamer and a moving fly that they're willing to chase, focus on, and then fishing in the morning. So. Uh, I ran a trout spay clinic on Saturday and, uh, I love doing these things cause I get, I get folks with, you know, a big variety of skill sets and it they're just small classes and, uh, the way I format these is I take three anglers out at a time and, uh, we pile in my boat. It's kind of a, you know, turns into a can of sardines with four of us in my skiff, but, uh, we get it done and uh, we jump in the boat so that we can get access to some different water on both sides of the river and look at, you know, reading water and such, uh, real time, you know, instead of just in theory. So, did that on Saturday and, uh, had a great class. The, the bite was really tough just because the, it was a really bright sunny day, beautiful day, but the, the water temperature was, you know, the low, low 40s, which is pretty cold for swinging flies. Uh, it can be good at times when the water temperature is down around 41 or 40, but in general it's pretty tough. Anywho, uh, ran that class and just, it, it seems like as I teach those more and more, and, and you can find those by going uh, back to our website and going to the upcoming events tab. And, uh, in addition to the, it, at this current time, the rendezvous link is on there, but, uh, if you're listening to this later on, the, below that, you'll see a bunch of links. To a bunch of different classes and events we do that are kind of date specific. And click on Trout Spay Fish Along with Joe Roder, and, uh, you'll see a little calendar pop up and, uh, usually there's a, a green day or two unless everything's booked full or I haven't put any fresh ones up. Uh, you'll see a green tab on there. Anyway, click that. It's a hundred bucks. Uh, you can jump in the boat with me and we'll go do some Trout Spay Fishing and, uh, it's about a two and a half hour class. Sometimes we can get all three hours in. Uh, but anyway, we'll go do some trout spay fishing, and I'll help you work on cast, work on reading water, presentation, all that kind of stuff. Can't teach you everything in three hours, but uh, we can get a lot done. But the more I've taught this class, it seems like I break things down to the same, no matter somebody's skill set, uh, I try to break things down to at least the casting into things, into kind of some very specific steps or processes. It's so critical as you learn two-handed casting, Applies to your salmon and steelhead game too, that you break things down into very specific steps, and almost every two-handed cast has three steps. It's going to be your anchor, your D-loop, and your cast. You have to, you have to, when it comes to troubleshooting and say you're put in a situation where you need to cast off your, you know, your left shoulder or whatever your off shoulder is in a tough situation and you're like, okay, I got to do, you know, a cack handed snap tee here. If you don't know the name of that, don't worry. It's just a more, just know that it's a more challenging cast for a beginner. You have to look at your steps and go, okay. I'm gonna break this into parts because the whole thing itself and adjusting to this looks a little bit daunting. I need to anchor. What does my anchor need to look like? You know, there's some criteria. The fly has to be on your left side. I need to have a balance of the line. I need to have about half the line on my left, about half the line on my right on my anchor. My rod has to be pointed away from my casting shoulder. Okay, so if I do a cack handed snap T every time I anchor, my rod has to come back to being pointed downstream. And um, I can't teach you all about how to make that cast right now. But my point is, is if we understand the, the steps, the anchor, what the criteria for the anchor is, then we can begin to think our cast through and troubleshoot things. Because folks, I hate to break it to you, muscles don't have memory. Okay? You have to have memory. Tell your muscles what to do. You have to understand the, pro- the steps, the cast, and why we do each one so that you could troubleshoot this and make decisions for yourself, especially as sink tips get longer, flies get heavier. You know, in theory, when we're practicing with a little piece of yarn and a light tip, everything's easy, but then all of a sudden you're waiting, you know, thigh deep with a heavier sink tip, a 15-foot sink tip, because that's how you really get them. Uh, All of this becomes more challenging, so focus on learning the steps of the cast, the process that you're gonna go through in deciding what cast to use and why you're going to use it. What does the wind look like? What, is my, what does my spacing from the bank look like? And then have a plan as to how you're going to get through that cast. And when you, when you learn all of those things, and then the last step, the most important one that I always hope that I can leave every caster with, regardless of skill set, is troubleshoot. You know, where, what part of that process did you break down? You know, where did you develop slack in your D-loop or slack in your cast? It almost always comes from the anchor. There's one thing you can do Ride sinker. Sanker, but, uh, teaching, I taught two sections that I did one in the morning, one in the afternoon on Saturday. And that troubleshoot thing is the one thing I want people to leave with because you're, you're spay fishing. And I plan to do a bunch of small fishing, uh, with my spay rod this spring. Uh, and so there's spay fishing you can do all over the place. You know, most people within a reasonable drive, they got a river big enough to, you know, do some spay fishing for something. So That's bay fishing, the casting and presentation portion of that really should be as casual as breathing or conversation. You just do it. It's like cardiac motion. You don't got to remember to breathe. It just happens. Okay, so that's what I want you to think about in your two-handed casting is really understanding the cast and not just going out there and starting to think you're going to develop some type of fluidity or muscle memory because... You're really not. You have to understand the the physics of how all that works. And it might be a little bit boring at first, but the best casters I see are honestly the most boring to watch because they're so structured and so square. In fact, I I joke with this all the time. I I got a friend uh, named Charles St. Pierre. He's one of the the top tier spay casters in the world uh, and a heck of an instructor. And uh, I've learned a lot from Charles. I, I owe a lot of my casting skill to Charles. But I fished with Charles, and when Charles is actually fishing and presenting a fly and just getting his job done, he can be one of the more boring spay casters to watch. One, he makes no mistakes, so he's not doing any pokes or corrections. Everything is just clean. It's very square, and it looks so stupid, easy, simple that I, I enjoy watching it, but it's like He's not doing any underhanded stuff. He's not doing a bunch of touch and goes most of the time if he's fishing a scadget style line. But just remember, the better you get at this, the more boring it gets. <laughs> uh, I will, I will share this because this is the first time in all my years of guiding that or instructed instructing that I saw this happen. But on Saturday, I had a guy. Uh, just he got his first two-handed rod on Saturday and. I'd Love his energy. His name is Jason, and I hope he listens to this podcast. But uh, Jason bought this Reddington Hydrogen 3 uh same rod I was instructing with. I think it's a great rod. At that price point, it's real tough to beat. Uh, but he bought this Reddington Hydrogen. We set it up with a, an OPST commando system uh, based on what he wanted to do. And at 250 grains, uh, the thing throws. It's a really easy caster with that green weight and that rod. But I got Jason going, and he was throwing just absolutely beautiful off-shoulder double spay casts in the, in the first run we were on. So everything's going pretty hunky-dory. He's good. I videotaped him. I should share it. In fact, I will share it the Facebook page because it was pretty impressive. But part I didn't document, and I wish I had, we went down to the next run, and I took him to a little bit of, I want to show him what fishing a high bank is like, that's where there's much swifter currents and uh, more brush usually or a steep rock ledge. Something where there's a steep bank. We're in the water. And he's getting a little discombobulated because we got a few trees. It's real world fishing now. He's got sticks, trees. It's gotten a little bit more challenging. I took him to kind of the bunny slope first and then I took him to a black diamond run second. So take him down there. He ends up getting a little discombobulated. Anchors just fly a little too close to him, and he literally, literally, I cannot believe I didn't photographed this, pierces his ear. No joke, folks, right through the dang earlobe. And he just whacked that thing. I mean, he just buried it. And uh, you know, we had pinched our barbs, but man, if there's any fragment of a barb, it really comes out in, in human flesh. I will tell you what, it, it did not want to back out all the way through that thing. And the tip was pretty much poking through the other side. And I had to push that hook the rest of the way through, clean that the remnants of that barb up just a little bit. And even after I, I just pliers smashed that thing, and I was pretty concerned about it because I was like, man, this is bad. So I did not, he had a good sense of humor. I should have taken a photo of that thing. I was laughing my ass off after he got that thing out of there. Uh, but I was a little concerned at the time, and, uh, he ended up backing that thing out of there. And, uh, I didn't see any tears, but holy smokes, man, it would have brought my uh, water to my eyes. Uh, but he, he absolutely pierced his ear, holy cow. Uh, so anyway, he pulls that thing out of there. I'm laughing my butt off, and then he says, Is that what you mean? Is that what you meant? When you said I anchor the fly too high that I could hook myself, I was <laughs> just laughing so hard. I'm like, yeah, that's a real-life lesson, son. Like, man, that is, it that was pretty harsh. Uh, but he kept fishing. I think he only took about 30 seconds off before he pitched that fly back in there. So be careful. Understand how the cast works. If you anchor that fly in the wrong position, there's grave consequence to that. So learn how the cast works before you start going out and hacking away. Um, and a hood is not not just a hood. It is a personal protection piece of personal protection equipment. It is your PP P, and E, folks. So wear a hood. Make sure you know what's supposed to happen uh, when you anchor. And then, uh, so another fishing report. We're starting to get uh, a few fish on dry flies, and uh, we're having to earn them. But this is one of the most exciting times of the year to fish because these fish have not been hooked. A lot of them in months, because we had a real uh, tough winter, a lot of cold temperatures, not a lot of fishing was happening, and um, the fish are just in prime shape, and uh, very exciting when you can get those on dry flies and be the first uh, you know, first person of the year to get them on dries. So, that's happening. Um, tune into our website. If you want more Fish and Report stuff, follow us on Facebook. Uh, I've got the guys or the boys out there uh, updating our Facebook page with Fish and Report stuff. So, we are starting to get some on dries. Okay, so now we're going to transition here um, and go a little different direction, and I'm going to do another chapter of uh, Wisdom of the Guides here for y'all. In case you missed it on the first one, uh, I'm kind of doing um, a condensed version of this book uh, written uh, back in 98 uh, called Wisdom of the Guides by Paul Arnold, and it's Rocky Mountain Guides Talk of Fly Fishing. I just think it's a really cool perspective. Uh, some, from from some good old fellows that were guiding um, back in the, the mid '90s, um, and uh, they just got good information that isn't really skewed uh, by any commercial interest or anything. And I just say that because media dominates a lot of what we do as outfitters today, because we're we're trying to scratch out a living and sell some tackle, and uh, it winds up um, it winds up showing up even in a lot of the stuff I do. It has to, because um, that's how I'm feeding my family and selling tackle. So uh, I do a lot of product reviews and that kind of stuff, but I like this book because it's not product driven at all. It's just good information. So let me jump into it here. The next chapter is going to be Craig Matthews. Um, and I remember reading a lot of articles when I first started guiding by Craig Matthews just because he wrote so much in Fly Fisherman, Fly Rod and Reel, and uh, it was a really well known tire. And I was tying a lot of flies when I first started guiding um, just to save a few bucks. Now I'm busy doing stuff like this, so I don't get to tie as, quite as much, but uh, he was, uh, I, I like how he made his transition into, to guiding. He wound up going to West Yellowstone, uh, as a policeman. And, uh, so that's the first part of the book. He says, I came here from Michigan and that's to West Yellowstone where he was, uh, at Blue Ribbon Flies. And, uh, he ended up as chief of police in West Yellowstone, uh, when the old chief left, pretty soon they had the police department with four cops. Uh, they all had bachelor's degrees in law enforcement. They're all real well-educated. Nobody made over 10000 So It wasn't a real high-paying police job. But they all fished and had a great time. Uh, in 1979, Greg Willie asked him if he'd consider doing some guiding. He agreed to guide a day or two a week, and the rest is history. Funny how that works. So I uh, was a policeman. Ended up being a guide. Uh, can't blame him. I had a couple of big-boy jobs, too, uh, in the off-seasons were guiding. But, man, every time spring rolled around, it was... Time to go guiding again. Um, so we'll jump right into this, and uh, and I'm going to just highlight some of the answers that I thought are worth sharing with you guys. And uh, this is just so parallel to what a lot of, I'd say, uh, the more mature guides uh, that have been doing it a while say. So he says, based on what you observed, how can folks get the most out of their guided trip? And he just says he loves people that come in and listen. Um, have some patience with the guide. Um, but ask him questions and, uh, an experienced guide. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but I underline this part and it says, as an experience, an experienced guide has a tremendous wealth of knowledge. People should ask a lot of questions and tap that knowledge. Try to bleed him of that knowledge. And I am always shocked how few questions people ask on the guide trip. They generally do a great job listening but they probably came there with some expectation of gaining knowledge. And whatever that expectation you have or is, make sure to ask questions. The guides, they don't hold information back. They don't, not, not, to, not to sound, at risk of sounding arrogant or something, but as guides, we don't perceive our guided guests as a threat to our fishing. Um, even if you grab your own boat, you're going to go out there and do it alone. We don't perceive you as a threat. You're not going to impact our guide, you know, our guide business or our career. We are happy to share with you any and all information we have. We are flattered and blessed that you chose to pay us to to row you down the river and guide you that day. We are delighted to answer all questions. So if you get the opportunity or you're even thinking about doing a guided trip and it's your first guided trip and you're thinking, man, I just don't know if guided trips are for me. They are for everybody. Um, if you're willing to listen and you want to learn something, guided trips are just a fantastic route. I did it. I, it changed my life. I don't know if I ever shared this story, but I just remember getting the opportunity to go out with a guide who ended up being a great mentor to me. And he's now a guide in, uh, Puget Sound, uh, for Sea Run Cutthroat. And, uh, his name is Chad Gillespie. Uh, business called Fjord Fly Fishing. You can check him out and go do a guide trip with Chad, but, I remember Chad uh, guided me when I was in college, and I just remember he taught me like two to three things in the first like five to ten minutes, and I was just like, I mean, I thought I was a pretty decent angler like a lot of young guys do at the time, and I was just like, my mind was blown. I was like, holy cow, we are going to get them now, Chad. Like, I remember thinking that in my mind. We are going to get these trout now that I know what you just told me. <laughs> we are going to get them now, and boy, did we. Um and Chad and I went on to be, you know, great friends, and he provided a lot of, a lot of mentorship to me. But um, I was kind of one of those; didn't think I could probably learn a lot from somebody else. And uh oh man, um, I learn every day. And I actually attend seminars and things by other guides, and I read books like this. So uh, let me keep moving here. Uh, I'm going to wind up with a three-hour podcast if I'm not careful. So. Uh, let's go to the joy of beginners. Uh, so what, what Craig says here, uh, back when you were actively guiding, did you mind guiding somebody with no skills at all? Like a husband and wife showing up and she's never held a fly rod before. Uh, and this is so parallel. It seems like invariably she would outfish him. Ride beginners always have a great time, especially women. They usually outfish the old man. Most guides would rather deal with raw beginners, uh, than with a guy who fishes once a year and has developed a lot of bad habits. I underline that. Uh, one thing about beginners, they really appreciate the fish they catch. Get them a fish of any size, they're in heaven. Uh, and I underlined the part about the guy who fishes once a year, and we see a lot of that. Uh, our joke is uh, we get clients, and we kind of, like when somebody books a trip, and they say, oh, yep, I fish the Bighorn River every year, or I fish the Missouri River every year. And we put that in the notes as though that's some type of merit badge that we're supposed to you know respect and appreciate <laughs> or no. And usually those are the guys that the more senior guys are like, Yeah, they kick that trip on down the line. <laughs> what that means is the guy who fishes once a year, probably catches a lot of fish on one of those big tailwaters. Probably thinks he knows a lot and uh really didn't know that much. Uh <laughs> so with the guy who fishes once a year, we literally in our guide company we kinda we kinda ju- you know, jest about that. Um, we love guiding everybody who we get a chance to, but uh yeah, just if somebody fishes once a year and they have great success cause they go during the best week of the year on a great river, of course they're going to have success. But, uh, you know, as guides, we grind out all conditions of the year, muddy water, high water, big wind, bad weather. We've seen it all. We've seen a lot of tough fishing. And I think there's a lot of anglers who share those, probably that same sentiment for adventure, um, that fishes, uh, during challenging times. And it builds a lot of skill and a lot of character and appreciation for the fish you do catch. And, uh, beginners uh, come pre-programmed with that. So they already appreciate every fish they catch. The so guys love beginners. And it's parallel with, I think, every interview I've read in this book and, and every interview I'd say with more you know mature staff. And I can't speak for outfitters of the rest of the country, but um, we train our young staff to appreciate every single person that, like I said, blesses uh, them with an opportunity to roll them down the river uh, without clients. We're just a bunch of dirty trout bums. So... Lucky to guide anybody. Um, all right, so, uh, moving on here. Do people, this is a question for Craig Matthews, do people often pay too much or too little for tackle? Like buying more expensive stuff than required or too cheap to get the job done? What he says, I think the biggest mistake people make is that they buy a beginner's outfit and then they quickly outgrow it and they're kicking themselves because they didn't get the best. I see it all the time. I often tell people, you're going to come back to me later. By the best, you might as well do it now. So, uh, I like that. That's, that's fine. I mean, by the best, you won't regret it. Uh, but the next part that I underlined is uh, I think where anglers really scrimp is on fly lines. And I'm not going to go through the rest of it because it's a pretty long paragraph. Uh, but I see that all the time. I replaced a line for a guy the other day. We were fishing, and we were trying to fish a very delicate New Zealand style indicator, and he had a fly line with a sink tip. A sink tip that he didn't even know he was getting when he bought that floating fly line. Uh, So at the end of the day, I replaced the fly line for him. But what I would say to you is if your fly line's sinking, it's an older fly line, you've had it more than two years, replace that thing because the fly line has a greater impact on your fishing than the rod. Because a lot of people fail to see their dry flies or they fail to keep their dry fly floating because their floating line sinks a little bit. Then they go to mend it or move it around a little bit or some drag happens. And that fly line that's you know a couple inches underwater pulls the dry fly down. So uh, replace your fly line. Okay. Expensive reels. Is an expensive reel something you'd recommend? Craig Matthews says. Around here, forget it. Drag is not that important. Every now and then you hook a fish of a lifetime, and you're going, "Dang it! I wish I had a better drag." But that's pretty unusual. We talk people out of buying ables, and brands brand aside, just know we talk people out of buying the super duper expensive reels. We tell them you can buy uh, you know an Orvis CFO for that money, or two Orvis CFOs for that money. In other words, for this kind of fishing, an expensive drag is not the big deal. I gotta I gotta totally agree that I want to educate you um, on something here. So. Uh, trout fishing, trout don't go on big, long, blistering runs. Unless you are going to fish Alaska someday, you're going to fish in lakes. Lakes have very large fish. you're not fishing lakes currently, you should consider it. So drag systems will protect fine tippet in lakes. And in Alaska, those bigger trout will run you into stump piles and that kind of stuff. Or where you have overlap with steelhead or salmon. On our home river, the Yakima, especially this time of year, we bump into a few steel from time to time while we're trout fishing. So a drag system is important if you're dealing with some high stakes um, fisheries. If you're just fishing small to mid-sized rivers for small to mid-sized trout, get a click paw. Click paw reels are super light. They're super trustworthy. They don't really have a drag. They just have enough, enough resistance to prevent backlash and you can palm the reel. Uh also if your reel is gonna double ever um possibly for saltwater stuff, it's worth going big and buying the fine reel. Or if you're marrying a reel up to the rod of a lifetime, meaning you finally bought that Sajax or that Winston or whatever it was, and you're gonna buy one reel for all time, you know, by all means buy the able, buy the hatch, buy the T-bore, buy the Nautilus. Um Whatever you're gonna get, just marry that reel up once because uh, I will say two things. One, better, more expensive reels are made with better, more expensive alloys, okay? Why is that important? Your reel's gonna get banged up, dinged up, dropped on the gravel bar occasionally, and if it's made with cheap alloy, um, the relationship between the spool and the reel is gonna change, and that reel will grind, it will fail, and it will not work for you uh, when that happens. So you get what you pay for, Click paws are fine for most stuff, but if you're buying, if they're for high stakes or those fisheries I mentioned, get something with a good reel. Okay, moving on to people's faults here, um, casting mistakes. How about casting mistakes, Craig Matthews? All right, <clears throat> in casting, everyone's into distance. You'll put a guy into rising fish, maybe 10 feet away, and he'll cast 50 feet of line. And, with, and, a, and it lined up in a big mess. I added that part. And you wonder what the heck's going on. And you got to regroup and say, hey, you see all those heads out there 10 feet away? Those are trout. Let's go through a real short cast. Maybe make one mend, and you'll get those fish. And usually the fish are spooked by that point. And I'm paraphrasing, because this is a long paragraph, because I could go on about this too, but he... Craig hits it right, hits the nail on the head here. Uh Yeah, as guides, we understand that a short, accurate cast catches more fish, okay? Get as close to the fish as you can without making him wary. Make a one-shot kill. Get that fish, okay? 10-foot cast. But the problem is we do that in the boat sometimes, and people cast way over the top of the fish, they show the fish the fly liner, the butt section, of their leader, and then they mend on the fish, which makes movement, and it's a very scary sound of the fish. And then by the time you finally get them to make a short cast and mend the way you want, all the fish are spooked, and then they're, and then skepticism creeps in. And then they're like, okay, I'm casting short just the way you said. and I don't say that, but I know what you guys are thinking. Um, so cast short, be accurate. Okay. The next question. The importance of good position. <clears throat> okay. What do you teach people about casting from a good position? Position is a very big thing for me, Craig Matthews says. I teach people that if fish rises, they should study the situation a little bit first. Instead of just jumping in and flailing the water from wherever they happen to be standing. So often, I've seen anglers be fishing, and when they see a fish rise... I don't care where they're at or how far from the rise, they just start casting that fish. So, excuse me, so absolutely true. Uh, You have to stop and observe and just take a deep breath and figure out how do I give myself the best opportunity to catch that fish? And that might be a rise or it might be the most likely spot of fish is holding, and how do I do that and catch that fish with as few a cast as possible? Because that's really the trick. The more we cast, the less likely we are to catch that fish. Because your fly should present itself as a unique and somewhat rare opportunity for them to cat, for them to eat. And if we show it to them several times in their periphery or peripheral, the <laughs> periphery of their feeding zone, The more we show it to him in that periphery of that feeding zone without actually getting it on the spot, the less likely we are to catch that fish. So position is huge, especially when you're wade fishing. You are really the pivot point of your presentation, your drift. And it's critical that you stand in a point of neutrality, meaning you can make your, if you're dead drifting flies, you a nymph for a dry fly. You stand in a point where you can make a cast and there's no mend required. It's either an upstream cast that just floats naturally in some type of you know path or radius back down towards you very naturally, or you're going to drop it downstream with kind of a stop cast or a parachute cast and let that fly float naturally below you and maybe just drop, you know, feed some line to it. But you shouldn't have to do a lot of mending typically while you're wading. You should be standing in a position that allows a neutral drift. So... Position is is important. That was a really good question Uh, Paul Arnold gave Craig uh, as well. Okay, the next one. I love this question. Absolutely love this question. The fisherman is a hunter. That was hunter. I just threw a little accent in there for you. The fisherman is a hunter. Okay. In listening to you, I sense that you bring a lot of attitude to hunter and hunting skills into your fishing. Is that correct? Matthew says that is correct. Often, particularly with trout and skinny water, oh, that's my favorite, it's as much hunting as it is fishing. And I think that's what is really intriguing about it. You can chuck and chance it on a river, but that's just like shooting up into the air hoping a duck will fly into your pattern. I like to find one individual fish feeding. You watch that one fish, and you can learn a lot about him. You may see him move differently when he takes a fly. Again, you can see that eye and you put that cast in there and hope he comes over. You know exactly what side of the mouth he's going to take your fly with because you've seen how he turns to take naturals. You get to know a little bit about that fish even before you catch him. I like that. That is cool. And fly fishing trout in skinny water is my favorite and i don't never been able to put my finger on why I like that so much and I actually prefer it. Um, I would much rather throw dry flies, dry droppers, delicate nymph rigs if I need to into real shallow slots that are very spooky and mistakes have consequence in shallow water, mistakes of the angler. I think that's why I like bass fishing too. i been able to put my finger on why I love largemouth bass fishing so much, uh, more so than I think other guides. Um, but yeah, the fly fisherman becomes a hunter in that situation. And I just uh, I really like that, especially about, about the part where You can, you can go hunting and start shooting up into the air, hoping a duck will fly into your pattern. (laughs) This is a comical thought right there. That's funny, Craig. Um, all right. So let me skip forward a few pages, uh, here. And, uh, I think that was the last one that I really had underlined, uh, in this section of wisdom of the guide. So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that and enjoy these interviews. I'm going to keep going through this book. And I suggest that you just go buy the book for yourself so that you can get into all the stuff that I'm skipping, that I just can't podcast all of it. Uh, so that's called Wisdom of the Guides. Just jump online. You can buy it at a number of places. Try to buy it from a fishing shop. Uh, I don't think we actually stock this book currently. We should. Uh, but buy it from a tackle shop somewhere. They probably got a dusty copy sh- sitting on the shelf there and uh, connect with them. Uh, connect with the Reds. Uh, follow us on Facebook, you guys. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, follow Reds Hunting on Facebook. Uh, we we should or will have a Reds Hunting uh, Instagram as well. And then Canyon River Lodge or Canyon River Ranch. Uh, follow them too. Um, we have a cool resort out there. We do a lot of neat stuff on our property. So follow us on all that stuff. You can follow us on Twitter, Reds Fly Shop. Kind of see what we're up to. And again, that's the best place to get the real-time fishing report stuff because we can just post it right from the river. We don't have to sit down and record anything lengthy or, or make a blog where we have to proofread it or anything like that. So we're much faster on conditions reports. But thanks so much for listening. Check it out. Get to the Reds Rendezvous 9 uh, this April. If you're listening to this later on, plan for it next year. We do the Reds Rendezvous every year. I'm always in the third week April. Thanks for listening.